we fill in Montgomery County, we fill in the Philadelphia region, we sort of fill in our area. There's Liberty Church in Harrisburg, um, there's Liberty Church in Collingswood, New Jersey, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, they sort of fill in their local, their local name. Uh, and this is the second to last uh, sermon in the series. We've done live, we did speak, and then this week is serve. And uh, we have one final sermon uh, next week that will actually be a bridge first. We're going to have a pre-recorded sermon by Liberty's director, Steve Huber, that we'll all uh, enjoy together. That will be a unique experience. Um, so that's next week. That'll be kind of the culmination of, of the, uh, the, the series. Uh, but today, uh, we will consider together what it means to serve as Christ's presence in, in Montgomery County, in, in, in my neighborhood and in your neighborhoods, um, and the place that you work, uh, in the place you go to school. What does it mean to serve as Christ's presence? Um, so let me, let me just uh, pray. Lord, we, we pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear this morning. Um, and uh, Lord, we want to be uh, those who are attentive to your spirit. So spirit, would you come speak to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, uh, I'm actually going to have uh, Kayla Suggs come up. Kayla is one of our high school seniors, and she's going to come read the scripture for us this morning. Um, if you could do the, the, the light shift so Kayla's not in the dark, that'd be great. Um, I'm actually going to have Kayla uh, read the passage twice uh, for you, and, and partly because it's such a dense passage uh, that I want to give you the opportunity to kind of sit with it for a minute. Uh, so, so, I'm, uh, so just as she listens to it, know that you're going to have a second hearing, all right? Um, so go ahead, Kayla. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you... You are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Um, so one of the great challenges of faith is the idea that God is asleep at the wheel. And, and what, what this passage, what you just heard, speaks about how God brings us from death to life. I just wonder if, if this morning you're somebody who can identify that in themselves. Have you experienced God bringing death in your life to life? And, and there may be a particular part of your life that you would say you would, or a particular area of your life that you would say there's death there that you're longing for God to bring life to. And so part of what we just heard is God is not asleep about that. Uh, 
And so now, what I'd ask you to do is, as you hear it again, listen and think for how, how is God bringing, where does God need to bring life and deadness beyond you, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your workplace? Where is there death where God might bring life in those places? So just as, as you're hearing it again, think, think, about, think about those things. Go ahead, Kayla, if you'd read it again one more time. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Thanks, Kayla. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've come to this realization or not yet, but certainly as Steve prayed for, um, the, the, the events of this past week, it, both in our country and around the world, might have might have helped you realize um, or help you remind you of the fact that, that we can't actually outdo or outserve evil and sin. We, we can't outdo or outserve evil and sin in the world. That might be a, a deflating way to start a sermon about service. Uh, there's hope, but, I, I, but it's an important point because it's a common mistake that um, a, a sermon about service or talking about service in the church uh, is translated into turning church into a volunteer force. Uh, and and I, I, so don't get me wrong, there is much to do in the world. Uh, but you have to first grapple with, with the reality that evil can't be overcome by increasing our doing alone. Uh, evil and sin and brokenness in your life and in our community is, in the first place, an idea problem. It's a problem of truth and ideas. Uh, if we're rich in deeds and doing, uh, but we're poor in ideas, uh, in the truth that we claim that shapes how we understand reality, if we're poor in those ideas, uh, our deeds will not carry the day. And that is because, and you know this intuitively, I hope to demonstrate it, your, your deeds are shaped by your ideas. Uh, and if you're kind of uncomfortable with that or you don't, you're like, I don't believe you. Um, I, would just, uh, I would just suggest to you that it's quite possible to provide a meal for somebody who is hungry on the street and at the same time deprive them of their dignity. And can you imagine how that might work out? 
Perhaps you've participated in something like that. I have. Uh, it's possible to provide housing for the homeless and the poor and yet stack them together in such a way and in such conditions that actually diminishes their humanity, then restores it. And that's just, I mean, a major thread of urban history. Uh, it's possible, and I, I certainly can attest to doing this, it's possible to share the good news of Jesus with somebody in such a way that actually undermines the good news. Uh, it's possible for you to earn a promotion at your job that will help you provide for your family, but do so in such a way that you cut down the dignity of your coworkers. And so, so I, hope, I hope maybe that helps convince you a little bit. Your ideas about, uh, about the world and about reality and about who you are shape the, the, your deeds. They shape what you do. Um, I'll give you just one more extreme example to, to maybe hopefully convince you of this. Uh, what, my first year teaching, I, was, I taught an emotional support classroom. And the hardest student I've ever taught was a girl named Kim. Uh, Kim had a mission to destroy joy in the world. Uh, she, she would, if you brought in a, pizza, a piece of pizza from the teacher uh, lunchroom with a big smile on your face because you finally got a nice little lunch, she would slap that pizza on the floor and laugh at you. That's, that's the way Kim was. Um, Kim was a bully to everybody. She's the kind of girl that needed a dramatic change in her life. Uh, and as you can imagine, her story was, was really horrible, um, how somebody gets to that point. And um, there was a, the, 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 the school district of Philadelphia contracts out behavior support. The director of behavior support um, that, that came to help my classroom, the director, the boss of all the, those who provide behavior support for the school, came to visit my classroom to help me with Kim. And his idea was he was going to intervene and stop the bullying. He, he, he thought he could do it. Uh, and and he, he did it by getting in her face and telling her that she was going to stop being a bully. And um, as you may predict, it escalated. It didn't get better. And by the end of it, uh, they were on the floor wrestling. Kim's shirt was torn in half, and his glasses were broken on the other side of the floor. Now, did Kim need somebody to bring boundaries and structure into her life? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but the ideas that he had about what would be effective shaped his deed. The idea that what brings about change in someone's life is measured by the degree of force and authority that she, he could exert over her. And, and I say it's a dramatic example, but I, but I hope you, you get the point. Um, our ideas are important. And, uh, and, and the invitation of scripture uh, and, and of, our, of our mission statement is that we are to serve others. And so the question I would just put before you, and I think that I want to look at with you in this passage, is what does it mean to serve as Jesus' presence? And what ideas or truths are going to form that service? Uh, so, so the first one, the, the first idea that I want to just uh, have you sit with a little bit um, is actually what is, is found in the story that Nancy read. It's from Genesis. And um, I'll just read verse 26 and 27 from the first chapter. Then God said, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the idea, and the, sorry, and the, I'm stuck on ideas, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Uh, we are created in his image. Uh, and that part of what that means is that we are to reflect and represent God in the world. Uh, but, but it's important to know that, that that's not a mechanical sort of uh, task that we're given. Uh, has anybody seen those coordinated drone displays in the sky? Have you seen this? Where drones will come together and sort of paint amazing pit. They have little lights on them, and I, I, don't, I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. Um, they come together and create this beautiful image in the sky, and then they can shift suddenly and create another image. Uh, hundreds of drones, they're programming in sequence to form a picture. If you haven't seen it, um, it's a great thing to look up this afternoon. Uh, and, but, but what happens when a, a dozen or so of those drones malfunction uh, is that the, the designer's intended image uh, becomes tarnished. And those drones are essentially worthless, right, the broken ones, um, until they can be restored. Uh, when a person fails to be the way that God has created them, uh, to reflect who he is in the world, it's, it's 100% not like those drones. I hope I did a little switch run. You thought I was going to say it's like the drones. No, it's actually not at all like those drones failing to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, you're not created to fulfill a designer's pre-programmed uh, image that he wants to display. The, the Trinitarian God, this is what the scriptures tell us, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is, is a self-sustaining, sweet society in and of itself. In and of himself. And he doesn't actually need you the way that that engineer needs those drones. Uh, you are created not out of necessity, you're created by God as an act of love. Uh, the Christian understanding of, of the person, uh, of you and I and all of us, is that we are made by God in love and given a purpose to represent and reflect God in the world. And what that means is that your value and your dignity don't depend upon how well you perform the task that God's given you. Now, I just hope, just hope you, you stay with that for a minute. That is a monumentally high and beautiful vision of what the person is that surpasses any sort of secular idea. Uh, and, and I'll just demonstrate it to you. Even though Kim didn't treat others with any dignity, and even though she struggled to even treat herself with any dignity, um, she is no less worthy of being treated with dignity as a person because of those things. She is not a, a, a malfunctioning drone on the ground. And, and Kim certainly wasn't the same student after that interaction that I described um, in, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. She, she, she fell more deeper into herself and withdrew. Uh, but, but as I, little by little, tried to just treat her as a person, um, there was, by the end, uh, a flash of someone who, who recognized themselves as a person by the end of the year. And certainly I couldn't solve all that was going on with her, but 
But the call was to treat her not as a malfunctioning drone, but as a person with dignity. So, so Genesis 1 tells us that each of us are made by God in love and given a purpose to represent and reflect God in the world. And that is the basis of the Christian understanding of the sanctity and dignity of all human life. That's the, be, that's the basis for understanding every person in this room uh, and every person you will encounter this week. Uh, so so just, just take a moment and sit with that for a moment. Um, every person you encounter this week is above all created by God in love. It's a demonstration of God's love that he brought every person about. And so, so in order to serve, you've got to go to work on yourself about this truth. Uh, by God's grace, it's not... By God's grace, it, it, it is something that, that can become a part of your, all your thinking and doing. Every person has dignity because they are an object of God's love. And, and so once we get a hold of that, we're actually ready to see how our failure to believe this truth, uh, to live as though it is true, um, is, kind of, is the root of every kind of problem that we have. Um, this is where we get into our failure. Um, and, and here's the idea, right? Here's, if, if we follow from the story of Genesis uh, to our failure, then, um, then we can say this. If our dignity comes from God, then when we turn from God, we turn from one another. Uh, this is the, the first John 4 you may remember from our series, oh, I don't know, a, a while ago. First uh, John, this is why First John is able to say, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So our failure to honor and serve one another out of their God-given dignity, um, this results in massive disorder. So I, I want you to kind of get that idea of the, the God's love gives us a dignity and our purpose and our failure to recognize that is the cause, is the root cause of all the disorder that we see, all the disorder that, that Steve prayed over, all the disorder that was perhaps on your heart this morning as you came in, as you lamented the conditions of, of life in the world. Um, I'll just add on a few more, how about it, to make, to make the point. Um, if presently in Philadelphia, there are, the, the, the numbers tell us there are 4,302 people who are homeless, uh, living in places that were not designed for human habitation. Uh, the, the food insecurity rate in Philadelphia, um, these are households that don't have access to enough food for an active and healthy life. 15.8% uh, of all households, I'm sorry, of all individuals are considered food insecure. So that's a quarter of a million people on our doorstep uh, will we'll not have access to, to enough food today. And 106,000 of them are children. The poverty rate in Philadelphia is 23%. So that's one in four families of two or more are living on less than $18,000 a year. And you begin to see the problem with the poverty line when you think about that. But that's a stunning amount. Uh, we are the poorest city of all the, the top 10 major cities in the country. Philadelphia remains the poorest. 
Uh, Pennsylvania currently has 15,000 children in the foster care system. Uh, in our country, it's half a million. Half a million children are bouncing around the foster care system in our country. Now, I, of course, we could go on, and of course, I'm sure you're all thinking of, well, he should have quoted this statistic, and he should have talked about this. But the point being, the, the, the disorder that we face is, is a failure for us to live as though it's true that every person has the dignity of being made by God and given God a purpose from God. That, that's at the root of it. You discard a child when you fail to see that they are created and loved by God. You make choices in your life such that you, you uh, end up on the street um, and other people make choices around you because of a failure to recognize what we read in Genesis 1, that all people have a God-given dignity. We are not well. And every aspect of the, the complex reasons for all that I just read about is this denial that I'm speaking of. And so, and so this is what we read, and if you're wondering where does Ephesians come in, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is how I'd like you to see um, what, what Paul's talking about in those first three verses. Uh, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Uh, poverty suffocates generations of families. Overdoses take lives. Children are passed around in foster care because of deadness in transgression and sin. Lies that deny the reality that God made us out of love. And, and just, uh, I think it's important to say that what we're not trying to do is sort of slap the sin label on complex societal problems and as Christians sort of call it a day which uh, we, we must confess, it can be a pattern that the church does. Uh, just chalk it all up to sin. Um, but as we enter in and serve and labor in the complexity of all that, uh, as we said before, the truth we hold will shape our deeds. So we're not saying we call it a day at, at knowing and at diagnosing it, but the ideas shape the way that we enter in and serve. Uh, so, so, for instance, verse 1 and 2 we just read, it describes sort of a living deadness, right? Notice the way in which you used to live and follow and gratify um, in verse 1 was deadness. Uh, we live, apart from God, in deadness. We become people of death who yet know that we're created for more. And that, that's sort of the the, the, um, the incredible part of this, that what Ephesians 1 and 2, uh, the verses 1 and 2 tell us is that if people are walking, they're living in deadness, there's a sense in which they're created for more. They know that they're created for more. They're more we know, even as we deny it, that, that there is a reality of God's love for us, that we're created for more. And that's, and that's, that's where we, we look now to that purpose that's restored. Um, verses 4 and 5, but God, who is rich in mercy out of his love for which he loved us, out of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
uh, in order to move from death back to life, we need a second birth. We need to be created again. This is the work of Jesus Christ, uh, who on the cross, he came down to the very bottom of us, into our death. And when we're united with him, he brings us out of death into life. Sin no longer rules in our members. And, and in Christ then, by being brought from death to life, we're restored to that dignity and those purposes that God gave us that we read about in Genesis 1. And, and that's where we arrive then at verse 10. For, God, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's a restoration to God's original intent for us to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so you're given rebirth not only to wait for a future day in which Christ will make all things new, but for the present, to do good works in the present. To uphold your God-given image that's restored to us in Christ. And part of that, that purpose is to serve others, to serve others, to enter into the mess of human deadness and serve as Christ served us, to bring life. That is the, that's the calling of one who's united with Christ, to restore life where there is deadness by his grace. Uh, now, this, a call to serve in this way will... Um, like I said, I, just hammering on ideas here, it will bring all kinds of uh, visions to your mind. Uh, if, you're, if you've been in the church for a long time, this is not your first rodeo being called to serve. Uh, you, you have a vision in your mind of what we're talking about here. God calls you to serve because you've been united with Christ. Yes, yes, I know the story. And, and it's a joyful one, and I don't mean to skip over it. Uh, I don't mean to suggest that we should, but there's a vision forming in your mind right now about what that means. Can I just, can I just deal with a few of them? Uh, some of you might be imagining this call to serve. It's a little bit like asking you to board a high-speed train. The, the train arrives at certain times and places, usually set out by the church, and you better be there and you better be ready to go. And what you'll notice, too, is that your ticket will always be set when you're supposed to be free, right? It's always set on Saturdays. It's always set on your weekday when you're supposed to be home resting. Um, and, and on the train are all the other saints, and they're seated according to the number of times they've been on that train before. And there's a lot of great stories to tell. And the goal is, as the more times you get on the train, the further up the train you move, and that's great because at the front of the chain is Jesus pumping coal into the engine. That's the high-speed train vision of serving that some of you may know about in the church. Um, and when you get off the train, you go back to the rest of your life until the next time the church gives you a ticket. Now, I, I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes as I bring that up. Uh, but, but I hope that if you've been around the church in a while, you can recognize some of those elements. And there's some good things about that, of course. Um, but that's actually not the vision, I think, that we get from Ephesians. Um, there's another version, there's another vision that we need to deal with, too. And it, it sort of emerged in what you may remember as the WWJD movement, um, where anybody remember these bracelets that you would wear? Um, but some of you might have one on now, and I do, I'm, not, 
I, if, you, if I offend you, please come talk to me, because there's a lot of good things about asking that question. There's a lot of worse questions you could ask yourself, right? Um, asking yourself, what would Jesus do, can be a very good question. But, but I just want to deal with it for a moment, because um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky question to ask yourself as a way to respond to a call to serve. Um, it's, a bit like, it's a bit like coming up to a trumpet and asking, what would Miles Davis do? Now, Miles Davis, if you don't know, is just a, one of the most proficient, beautiful um, musicians uh, that we've ever had. Um, and here's the problem. What would Miles Davis do? He would probably pick up the trumpet, and he would probably hold it almost as an extension of his body, and he would play something that was deep and rich and beautiful and that reflected his life and all his experiences. And we would be blown away. And so that might inspire us for a moment. Um, but but when the minute we tried to go do that and pick up the trumpet um, and try and imitate Miles, uh, we'd be doing something really kind of fruitless. I hope you can see the point of that. Uh, this is why the, the image we need to stick with is in verse 10. You are God's handiwork. You are his masterpiece. Um, so... The better question, and this is where I want to end, um, the better question you might ask yourself, instead of do I have a ticket for the train or what would Jesus do, um, is a question I've actually I've heard uh, I'm borrowing from Dallas Willard. He, he asked the question this, this way. If Jesus were leading my life, how would he lead it? And you might say that it sounds an awful lot like WWJD. But I just want to demonstrate the difference to you. If Jesus were leading my life, how would he lead it? How would he go to work on you to make you a masterpiece? If Miles Davis were leading your life at that moment before the trumpet, with the skills and the knowledges and the opportunity that you have today, what would he do? How would he go about it? Well, see, now there's a vision for you. Well, the first things first, I'm going to get down to learn the basic notes because I have something beautiful to give to the world. How would Jesus serve if he were to lead your life? How would Jesus put to use your gifts, your interests, your circumstances to serve others? Who in your sphere of people right now would Jesus notice and move toward? How would Jesus use your position at work to serve others? How would Jesus serve other people and be a servant at school? And so... To be God's handiwork means that you're not actually working on a performance, but you're becoming a different kind of person. Individually, you're becoming a masterpiece. You become the kind of person at school who, who can serve. Rather than sort of anxiously asking yourself in every individual moment, well, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do here? It's a difference. It's a difference. And so then what does it look like when a community takes this idea of being a masterpiece Seriously. Um, well, certainly, uh, when, we, when we go serve the poor together, uh, we, go, we go with, with an abundance of people. I'm not, I do not want to suggest to you that you should not volunteer for the things that we do together. When we have a work day, we, we come out in droves because we recognize the dignity and beauty of every person. We do, we act, we go, we serve. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But also, as a community, when we hear this call to serve, 
We, we collectively are paying attention to the Spirit's handiwork in our lives. We feel less like a high-speed train. We're more like a, a living body at work in many dead places in our community. Uh, if we take this call to serve and be God's handiwork seriously, more will be done in secret than we know about. Uh, the greatest acts of the saints this week may not be known by anybody but our Heavenly Father. Um, and our, sand, our Sunday morning gatherings will actually be marked by, here's how we know we're serving. The Sunday morning gathering of God's people will be marked by more an intensity of worship, a spirit of lament over the trials and troubles you face in the world this week. Um, it will feel more like an equipping to send out to do the real work of the Spirit through the rest of the week, rather than this being the main event. So that, that's the call to serve. How would Jesus lead your life? How, would, how does Jesus want to use the individual gifts and strengths and circumstances in our lives this week? Christ brings us from death to life so that we can then recognize the dignity of every person and serve them accordingly. Uh, I invite the worship team to come forward. Let me, let me close this in prayer. Father, uh, we, we do pray as we close that to those who have hunger, would you give them bread? And to those of us who have bread, would you give us a hunger for justice? We pray, Lord, for those who uh, need to know the good news of Jesus this, this week, that you would lead us to serve as you have served us. And so, Lord, what we pray and what we hope for is that this is a community where lots of individually led, almost secret servicing, serving others happens throughout this week. That we do not become a people who want to just play a role or um, a people want to get on a high-speed high speed train and do a thing and then go back to our normal lives. We pray, Lord, would your handiwork come into every part of our lives so that we could become a people of service throughout our week. And then we come back here again in a week and we, we give you glory for the things we've seen you done, do in our, in our lives. And we, we become equipped and reminded of what's true so that we can go out and serve again. Help us, Lord, become this kind of community, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand together and sing.